we're using this summer uh, to look at different psalms throughout uh, the book of Psalms to look at how the psalm writers, the psalmists, if you will, dealt with circumstances in regards to their walk with their God in midst of very difficult at times situations and circumstances. There are psalms that are filled with great joy. There are psalms that are filled with great pain. Today we come to a psalm that is probably one of the most famous passages of all of the scriptures. There's probably not a believer or unbeliever uh, in the Western world that has not at some point heard Psalm 23 uttered, whether in a church service or some memorial service, where they have been at a funeral and saying goodbye to the one uh, that they've known, where this 23rd Psalm has not been recited or articulated uh, as a community, remembering the good shepherd that we have. Now, this is written by David. It says that it's a psalm of David. And what greater individual than David to have write this incredible psalm? He was a shepherd. You see, David is a lot like your preacher, bivocational. He did many different things. And one of the jobs that he had was to be a shepherd of his father, Jesse's flock. I wonder uh, when he was uh, penning these marvelous and these amazing words if he had just finished an evening uh, of tending the flock under his care, looking over the little lambs that he loved, some uh, that were uh, very quick to follow while others maybe a bit more obstinate, a little more stubborn in their following and his leading. And he sits down and he pens the words thinking of his own life thinking of his own relationship with the shepherd uh, of his flock, his own shepherd, uh, God the Father. And he pens these words that I think are of such great importance, and we need to look at these words together. I'm going to ask that you would stand as we look to this passage of Scripture. And I want us to meditate on these words as I read them uh, to us here this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father God, we come to one of the most marvelous passages of Scripture in all of this amazing book that you've given us. And Lord, we thank you for it because it reminds us that you are our shepherd. Lord, I pray that we would be a part of your flock, that we would love being in your fold, that we would look to you, that we would seek you for our provision, that we would pursue you for all that we need in this world. Lord, I pray that uh, if we have wandered from that flock this morning, that because of this passage, we might come home. Lord, we know that when we come home, there's grace, and there's mercy. So, Lord, I pray that we as a people will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
because we love you and because you are the only answer to everything that we need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the hardships of preaching such a famous passage of Scripture is I'm going to assume that many of you have heard a sermon, have read a devotional, have uh, gone through a Bible study on this incredible passage of Scripture. And so one thing I want us to keep in mind is that my goal is not to come up with something per se brand new or profound from this passage that no one else has come up with, but the focus and the goal that I have this morning is to renew our commitment to the shepherd and to remember that when we live our life on our own, we will inevitably find ourselves out of the flock, out of the fold, and a remembrance of our need for our shepherd. The thing that I want to focus on this morning in this passage that is before you is what I call the secret to life. Paul says in one of his New Testament uh, books and letters that he had written to the church was that he had found the secret, the secret to life, and that secret was contentment, that he would be able to be content in all times with all things, whether in lack or in plenty. Today our text tells us that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The whole idea of this passage, I believe, is the issue of contentment. Contentment is something that we struggle with as Americans. We seem to find ourselves struggling with it because we show our discontent in our constant striving for more. More things, more time, more vacation, more, more, more. It's not enough with what we have. There's always got to be more. And if our neighbor or our friend gets something that we don't have, then whatever we were given is no longer any good. Now you need the new thing. Advertisers tell us that just because you bought that computer two days ago, it's old, it's, it's obsolete. Now there's the new level of technology that we need to receive. We see that individual with that new cell phone and we look at our cell phone and we say, man, mine doesn't do this, that, or the other thing. It's time to get a new cell phone. We do that with our relationships. People uh, today will walk away from their marriages because instead of being content with the spouse and the relationship that they've been given, they look for greener pastures in the arms of other individuals. Amidst our high standing of living, you would think that we would be filled, but we're not. We are never content. Sadly, even as believers, this discontentment uh, is a part of our everyday life. Think for a moment what your response would be in the, grocery, in the store or purchasing that need that you, that, that, that certain thing that you need that your life cannot go on without. Think about that uh, uh, forbidden fruit that you find yourself lusting after, that you have to have, that your body and your mind says you've got to have in your possession. Think for a moment that right before that purchase or that pursuit, you would utter the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Can you say today as a believer that if I just had Jesus, it would be enough. I don't need anything more. The good, the bad, the ugly of life, I, I don't need to worry about that. As long as you give me Jesus, that's all I need. The writer, David, tells us that we need to learn 
to be content. But how are we to do this? How are we as Christians in a discontented world? Are we to find contentment in Jesus Christ? Notice what it says in the first uh, couple verses here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want us to let that sink in this morning. Because as we begin to look at what Jesus brings us as the great shepherd of the sheep, we need to recognize that it isn't that he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he'll give me nothing, but I won't want anything, as if we have this complacent feeling But Jesus is going to articulate as the great shepherd of the sheep of what he gives. And David speaks of the things that he gives that should make us content, both in good and bad circumstances. So what types of things does the shepherd bring? The first thing we need to look at is the first of three points that I have, that true contentment is found when we allow the Lord, first of all, to set us in the right direction. To to shepherd us in the right direction. Notice what the text says. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that this morning? Can you say today that the Lord, Jesus Christ, is my shepherd? Notice the word my there. It's possessive. Now that's an amazing thought. That David would be able to say that the Lord of the universe, the God of all creation, is his But that's what the Bible says that we can say as children of God. He's mine. I am his and he is mine. Have you ever bowed the knee to that shepherd? Have you ever said, I'm done trying to fight and to steal and to do all that I need to to get the things of this world for myself and bow the knee to that shepherd and say, you're the one who will need to provide for me. You're the one who will need to protect me. You are the one who is going to give me the desires of my heart. I'm not going to try to do it anymore because in my striving, in my pursuing, I come up failing. I find myself pursuing sin. And so I need you, Jesus, to be my shepherd, to be my Lord. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, And these words aren't for you. Now you say, well, Tim, isn't Jesus the uh, the shepherd of all the sheep? In John chapter 10, Jesus says that not all sheep are a part of his fold. And if you're not a part of that fold this morning, then none of these incredible verses will do anything for you until you're a part of that flock. Until you bow your head and you say, Jesus, I'm in need of your leading I'm in need of your shepherding in my life. I need you to shepherd me in the right direction. Until you do that, you will not understand what the scriptures say, that we all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way. We're sinners, and we have gone our own way, and Jesus, the great shepherd, is calling out, and he's saying, come back, come back. And the question will be, will you hear and heed his voice. You see, we we have to know and understand that the direction that Jesus sends us in is very different. It's a stark contrast from the world around us. And so let's look at what Jesus gives us as we bow the knee to him. The first thing that we see that that is given as we are shepherded in the right direction, first of all, is rest. It's rest. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
It goes on to say that he makes me lie down. The idea here in this lying down is a succession of striving, working, or toiling. One thing that I observed in my study this week was that, number one, he is the one who makes us lie down. He's the one who causes us to rest. But notice here for a moment that the rest comes before the green pastures and before the still waters. In my thinking and my studying of this passage before this week, I always thought that the lying down and the resting came as a result of the green pastures and the still waters. But as I look, the lying down takes place before we get there. And I think that's of great importance for us as believers because before we can be shepherded, before we can be a part of the flock of God, we have to rest. We sang about that this morning. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of who you are. We will never be a part of the flock of God until we rest. Well, you say, what what does that mean? That's faith. Before Jesus has, has shown all the benefits of the believer to us, we have to bow the knee and say, I believe. I have faith that you are able to handle everything that comes my way. You are able to take care of my needs. You are able to take care of my sins. You are able to minister to me, whether it's in the good, the bad, or the ugly of life. It begins with resting. What are you finding your rest in today? This last week, I had the opportunity to take my family away uh, for about five days of vacation. And, And it was a restful one as vacations go. But if we put our hope in vacations, one thing I came back from uh, the trip, and there was a stack of bills. Uh, they still come, and, and my resting quickly was turning to, oh boy, there's a lot more work to do. When I got back to work and, and back into the, the, the grind of, of ministry, there were voicemails to be returned, emails to respond to, and, and I would think that vacation would be rest, but it's not. All it is is just a hiatus from the busyness of life. What Jesus, as our shepherd teaches us, is that rest is found in him and him alone. We don't have to strive. We don't have to toil. We don't have to work for the things of spiritual uh, vitality. They're given by our shepherd. Notice the next thing that he gives, refreshment. Refreshment. The text tells us that he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. We're told by shepherds that sheep will not lie down until their bellies are full with food and drink. And they will not rest until those uh, are brought into full fruition. So the job of the shepherd is to lead the flock, first of all, to green pastures, places where they can graze, where they can receive the nutrients that they need. And besides still waters, the reason for still waters is that sheep are very scary or scared animals. They're not scary. They're scared. They're fearful creatures. And so you can't take them by a rushing rapids to try to give them water. They recognize that if they fall into the water, they're going to have a difficult time getting out. And so the shepherd's job was to find water, a source that they would be able to drink from without being fearful. Now, the reason why the shepherd's job is to do this is because sheep are dumb creatures. 
They're dumb by nature. And what they will do is if they're hungry, they'll eat anything. Veterinarians have said that they have found all kinds of materials in the stomachs of sheep. They'll eat anything, plastic, paper, you name it, they'll eat it because they're hungry. And the job of the shepherd is to make sure knowing the heart and the mind of the creature, the sheep, the lamb that they're leading is a creature that will go and try to find food if it finds itself to be hungry. And so the shepherd's job is to present to the flock a place to get food and drink. Likewise, it is for us and the flock of God. You see, we too are stupid creatures. Instead of going to the place, the green pastures where God has given us all the nutrients and all the help that we need to sustain our lives, we grow hungry and we'll put anything into our mouths. We're like uh, uh, my three boys when they were babies. I don't care what was on the ground, they would pick it up and they'd put it in their mouth. And that's how we are as human beings. We will go to the gutter and have a buffet. And the reason why is because instead of finding true contentment in our Lord and Savior, in our shepherd, we look to the world to fill our bellies, to to feed on the things of this world. I love what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Write this down in your outlines as a way of reference. Jeremiah 2.13 says the following. It says... For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We're thirsty in this world, and instead of going to the water that never runs dry, the living water found in Jesus Christ, we go to television, we go to the internet, we go to the world's understanding, and the world is drinking out of a sewer today, and we find ourselves attracted to such kind of living. And so we pursue the things like magazines and movies. We pursue TV and internet. We even are more concerned about our hobbies and even our healthy habits than we are about pursuing God and His Word. We were told in Psalm 1 a couple weeks ago that the man of God hungers and thirsts day and night, meditating, consuming the Word of God. Oh, as we as a people of God need to feast on His Word. His word is good. His word is true. The scriptures tell us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Instead of pursuing the things of this world, we should be pursuing the things that our Savior gives. As a father, my job is to make sure at the dinner table my kids eat. Because inevitably, if my kids don't eat, an hour later... They will be scrounging around in the cupboards looking for all kinds of junk food to try to meet their hunger pangs that they have. It would, be not, it would not be very good for my children to have a steady diet of those things because me and Amanda would lose our minds with the sugar that would be consumed in those times. But my job is to make sure they get all of their vitamins and all of their food groups are met because that's what brings health and vitality. This is the job of our shepherd Jesus Christ. The question is, are you eating what he's placing before you? 
Notice the, the next one. It is restoration. It says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. The word restores here in our English translations is a powerful Hebrew word that literally means he causes my life to return to me. The idea here is not of a backslidden individual or one who has wandered away from the flock, but this is one of the good little obedient lambs who's just always a part of the movement of the flock, doing what the shepherd says. When the shepherd points in that direction, they go. But inevitably, even a part of an obedient flock, they grow tired, they grow weary. And the job of the shepherd is to be there to restore them. It speaks of one who is busy serving the Lord, one who is full of zeal. It is one who has made the Lord their shepherd. But even as we've done that, and some of you may be saying, I'm not outside of the flock, I'm obediently listening to the voice of my shepherd, and I'm going the way that he's told me to go. But i got to be honest with you, it isn't easy. Sometimes it isn't fun. I'm weary. I'm tired. Yes, I've eaten from the green pastures. Yes, I've laid by the still waters, but I'm still hurting. There's still troubles and pains in my life. This is where the shepherd comes in and he meets their needs. Though they've grown tired, though they've grown weary, the shepherd comes and he meets their needs. Two scriptures that come to mind are Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. Isaiah 40 uh, verses 29 through 31. It says the following. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says this. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles, They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the next chapter, chapter 41, verse 10 says this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. I want you to know today, you may be an obedient lamb, a part of the flock of Jesus Christ, and maybe the world is knocking you all around. Maybe it's the circumstances of life that have got you down. Maybe it is just a sense of a lacking of faith saying, is this the right flock that I should be in? I I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but I'm not quite sure. It is in those times we give ourselves over to Jesus and we say, Lord, restore me. Bring my life back to me. And he says he will. He brings restoration. Notice also he brings forth righteousness. He leads me to the paths of righteousness. The idea here is that the shepherd, who we know to be Jesus, leads in the paths of of obedience. We all need guidance. We all need to know how to live in this confusing world. Fathers, this is a great spot for me to implore us to take the role that we have to shepherd the flock that God has given us. And our job is to lead our children, to lead our wives in the paths of righteousness. And that's going to involve us articulating 
that there is a right way to go and there is a wrong way to go and that we need to use discernment. We need to use wisdom. We need to rely on the great wisdom of God to know what to do when there is a fork in the road and what direction we should go in. Now, the good shepherd leads in the paths of righteousness. How does he do it? He does it through two things. I want you to write this on the side of your outline. He leads us in the paths of righteousness, first of all, through his word. Through his word. How does a young man keep his way pure? By meditating on the word of God. And so the scriptures are filled with, hey, hey, don't go that way. That way leads to destruction. That way leads to trouble. That way leads to all kinds of perils and dangers. And the thing I love about the scriptures is it does it through biographies. It does it through histories. It does it through poetry. It does it through um, circumstances where there are good examples of it and bad examples of it. And so the Bible is chalked full of opportunities for us to see that the way that leads to destruction is the way that leads to destruction. But it isn't just a bunch of danger, stop, don't go, do not cross signs. It also shows us the way of righteousness. And it says that's not the only option, but there is another option. And the other option is filled with righteousness and purity and holiness. It's one that brings forth fellowship between our fellow man and our God in heaven. Use the scriptures to be your guide, to be your GPS, because that is the way that we're led in those paths of righteousness. The second way that he leads us is through his walk, through his walk. The book of Hebrews tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, suffered its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the great thing. Jesus didn't just write down the way to real life. He didn't just say, hey, everybody, real life, vitality, and all the greatness of this world is found going that way. Jesus put skin on entered into this world, and he showed us what the paths of righteousness looked like. He endured all of it. You say, well, it's not easy to pursue the paths of righteousness. There's a lot of difficult things out there as human beings. Jesus came, and he didn't say just, hey, hey, go this way, and and you'll figure it out. He walked that, and he pursued uh, the life of purity. It says that he endured all things, yet without sin. He shows us it can be done. So we have a shepherd who, not just, who doesn't just point, but he leads the way with his own life. Are you following him? Are you following his word? Are you following his walk? You say, Tim, it's hard. That's why I'm so glad Jesus has gone before us. When we got all that snow this last winter, I was out with Joshua, my, my five-year-old, and, and we were out in the snow, and the, the snow was taller than he was. But he wanted to be out there with me and and shoveling and working. And so what I did is I made a path for him. And I said, Joshua, as long as you stay in the path, you'll be all right. You'll be able to walk and just stay behind me. And every once in a while, I'd look around and Joshua would be off under the snow, completely consumed by it. And I'd say, why did you get off the path? He says, well, I just wanted to go over here and see this drift or go over there and see that one. When we find ourselves distracted, away from the path that our Lord and Savior has led us in, we will find ourselves consumed by the things of this world. Stay in the steps of Jesus Christ. 
and he will lead you to the righteousness that he speaks of. The next thing that we see is why all of this is done. Why does he do all this? It's for his renown. I want you to understand something that is of such great importance. Jesus doesn't do all these things because you're just some great little lamb. He doesn't sit there and say, oh man, I have to do all these things because they're just too cool not to do those things. I need to take care of them because they're just so awesome and so wonderful that I'm going to do it. Understand this as well. The job of the shepherd is not to make the sheep look good so that the sheep can go around to the other flocks and say, hey, look at me. Look at how great my coat of wool is. Look how fat my belly is. Look how wonderful I am, how happy I am. No, the job of the shepherd is to show how great the shepherd is. You see, the job that we have as Christians, as we are shown these paths of righteousness and given this restoration and this rest and refreshment, isn't to say, look at me, look how great I am and how rested I am and how refreshed I am. But the job that we have as sheep is to say, the only reason that I'm this way is because of my shepherd. He's it. He's the best. He does everything. I don't need to go looking for garbage. My shepherd takes me to the best places, the best restaurants that money can buy. My shepherd takes me there. He gives me everything that I need. Some of us are not evangelizing and reaching our world because we're not content in the gospel that has saved us. We're out trying to live the schizophrenic life of the life in the world and the life in Christ, and we've never stopped to say how good and glorious my life is. I heard of a story this past week, talking with a friend, of a Christian millionaire who's, who uh, just finished up building a 37,000-square-foot home. And I asked the question, where is contentment? 37,000 square feet. And you know what the Lord said to me? How's your 2,300 doing for you? And I was easy to point, it was easy to point fingers at the guy that I thought had, had such a great thing because man, only maybe 0.1% of Americans live in a house that big. And then the Lord reminded me, only 0.1% of the world lives like you, Tim. Are you content with what I have? And so instead of complaining about this, that, or the other thing, when I go to work and, and when I'm engaged with family and friends, that my job is to say, oh, Jesus, as, as Sammy Sosa used to say, has been very, very good to me. He's been very, very good. Jesus, Sammy Sosa said baseball had been very, very good. I don't want you to think that he was speaking of Jesus in that way. But it's about his renown. It's about his glory. Are you giving it to him? Are you proclaiming it to others? Let's move on. Point number two we see, the second thing, and I need to get moving here, but he, he settles us in times of despair. He settles us in times of despair. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. One thing that we begin to forget as believers, a part of this great flock of God, is that life is going to be great. Life is going to be wonderful. That contentment is an absence of all trouble and all pains, and that's just not the case. The psalmist says right away, I'm going to walk through these valleys of the shadow of death. When we come to this passage, we've got to explore a couple things. First of all, we have to recognize that the Christian life is a life of ups and downs. 
This past week, uh, we went and stayed at my uh, in-laws' home. They have a house up in the Eagle Ridge um, territory of Galena. If you've ever been to Galena, you think that Illinois has no hills, then you get to Galena. And as we were traveling up there, one of the boys said, Dad, are we ever going to get there? We keep going down. Isn't Galena up? And you know how the hills are, especially on uh, Route 20. Uh, you go up a little hill, and then you go down this big hill, and then you come back up, and then you go back down. And one thing that I taught him is, boys, even though it feels like we're going down, we are heading up. And the Christian life is always an upward journey, but there are going to be times where we're going to go down a little bit, but that next hill is going to take us higher. And there are going to be times where it's going to seem that we, two ways that I look at the valley of the shadow of death, either you want to die or you feel like you're going to die. Because it's the shadow, it's not death itself. But there's no doubt that many of us at times have felt like either we're going to die or if not, we want to die because the pain or the struggle is too great. Understand this, with the shepherd, you're always heading up. You're always heading towards heaven. And so we need to understand a couple things about this valley. Number one, it reminds us of the reason for suffering. The reason for suffering. There are two, and I don't want to get into a big theological um, discussion about this, but there are two reasons for suffering. The first one is our sin. We get ourselves into trouble. Using the metaphor of the flock, the little lamb sees something that he likes and he runs away from the flock and he goes and he pursues his own selfish desires instead of staying obedient to the master, the shepherd that he has, he runs away. And then he finds himself being backed in by a pack of wolves. Can he say, the shepherd blew it? What were you doing, shepherd? You weren't supposed to allow me to have this happen to me. Some of us find ourselves backed in by the enemies of sin and the enemies in this world, and we're backed in and we're pointing to Jesus saying, how dare you let this happen to me? And the reason why is because of our own selfish desires. We have gone away from the flock of God. We find ourselves isolated, and we find ourselves, because of that isolation, vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. And the last place we need to point is to our shepherd and say, you did this. Sin causes a great deal of our suffering. But we must also recognize that it's not just sin, that when we suffer, it isn't just because we have done something, but also it's because God's done something. It's sin and it's God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. We look at the life of Job, righteous uh, beyond all in all of the land, and yet God said it was good for him to suffer. Some of us are suffering not because of our sin, but because God has willed it according to his divine plan and purpose that you would suffer for a while, that you would endure hardships, that you would endure trials and tribulations. And it may involve your finances, it may involve relationships, it may, it may involve someone harming you, it may involve all kinds of things. And you say, how could a good God do that? Because God isn't concerned about your comfort as much as he is about your character. So he wants to grow you. Now notice what takes place. There's the reaction that we as Christians should have to the troubled situations. I will not fear. Even when the world seems to be coming in on us like a flood, our response needs to be, we're not going to fear. First Peter says, don't be surprised when all kinds of trials come. In the book of James, it says that we are to consider it joy when trials come. The book of um, Romans says that the reason why 
we do not need to fear is because we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So what can separate me from my shepherd's love? Can life or death, can angels or principalities, can heights or deaths, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And so why should I fear? What can man do to me if God is in control? Some of us need to remember that. Some of us are quick to say, I'm in the flock of God, but trouble comes and we just, oh gosh, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Where will I go in this time of trouble? The psalmist tells us that when we are walking in fellowship with God, we will not fear. The reason why is because we see the response of our shepherd. He is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. When trials come, we don't walk alone. We don't walk alone. We're never by ourselves. God is with us. Every one of my boys, my oldest son will get embarrassed by this if you tell him, so don't say I told you this. They all were afraid of the boogeyman. All of them. And they all, the boogeyman was different in each of their lives. But inevitably, and we just finished it up with Luke, he couldn't sleep and and he was telling me, well, the the boogeyman is there and he's going to get me. And I said, well, tell me about the boogeyman. What can he do? And, and Daddy, he can throw me. I said, you know, Daddy can do that too? Well, he can, he can shake the bed. And I said, you know, your Daddy can do that too? I said, you know something, Luke? Your Daddy's stronger than the boogeyman. And he looks at me and says, you are? And I said, I am. I says, when the boogeyman shows up, when Dad comes in, where does the boogeyman go? He goes away, Dad. I said, because he's scared of your dad. He says, okay. He says, so you'll take care of the boogeyman? I says, yeah, I'll take care of the boogeyman. I'm going to bed. You know, the boogeyman in adults' life is different than that of a child. But recognize this, what Jesus says to the boogeymans of our life, the trials and the tribulations, the enemies that surround us, is Jesus says, I'm stronger than them. I can take care of them. I don't even have to eat my Wheaties in the morning to take care of those issues. Jesus is never surprised by the trials and tribulations that come our way. And he says, hey, when you go through those troubles, I'm there with you. You don't have to worry about it. That boogeyman's going to run when he sees me coming. He's there with us. And he tells us what he's going to use, his rod and his staff. They comfort us. Are you comforted with the knowledge, even when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, that your God is with you. He's your ever-present help in times of storm and trouble. Number three, and we'll close this out, he satisfies our desires. He satisfies our desires. I love this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The final way that the Lord brings contentment is to satisfy our desires. And he does it in a couple ways. First of all, he does it with his position of acceptance that he gives us. Even though we, like sheep, have all gone astray, each to our own way, God brings us back to the fold. He shows us grace and mercy. He accepts us as if we've never sinned because of the blood that that perfect lamb 
shed on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ. He receives us back. And the phrase that is used is, he anoints my head with oil. Brothers and sisters, if you recognize anything today is that you have gone from being a pauper to a prince. And he's given you that opportunity. He's anointed your head because you are now an heir with Christ. You are a child of the king's. Rejoice in that. Make that your desire, to live like that son who's a part of that incredible position. Notice not only a position, but a possession. Look what comes, goodness and mercy. The thing that I had never seen before, as many times as I've read it, were this, that goodness and mercy will follow me. Isn't that what the world is striving for? Isn't that what we're out looking for, is the good life? And when we fail, mercy, don't we want everybody to give us a second chance? That's what the world's looking for. And they're striving and they're pursuing that. And this is what God, our Father, and Jesus, our shepherd, says. You don't have to go looking for that. It's coming looking for you. You don't have to go and pursue that. I'm giving it to you. The possession we are given is goodness. In all that that involves, it is mercy. We're going to fail. We're going to wander away. We're going to struggle. And mercy's going to come. And it's going to come running to us in our time of greatest need. How ironic that the world is running after it while it is running after us. And finally, the place. Oh, the incredible place that we are given. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because of the new position because of what we possess, we are invited to a new place. This house of the Lord literally means intimacy with our God. Are you dwelling in that place of intimacy with your father, with your shepherd this morning? The only way that we are going to find that life of contentment is when we find it in the right spot. The shepherd who says that you shall not be in want. The only catch is, and the thing that we must evaluate in our lives as we close our time, is am I following that good shepherd? Asking the question, what is keeping me from that intimate walk of obedience? What distraction has me focused in on other things? What pursuit has me traveling a different road? Jesus says, come and follow me. He says, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. He's the good shepherd because, brothers and sisters, he laid down his life for us. So what do we need to do? We need to turn to him. And in that time and in that place of turning, we will have all that we need. And we won't have to pursue the things that this world advertises. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would pursue you, the great shepherd of the sheep. You have done so much. You lead us to the good places, to the places that we need in our life. And yet, Lord, I recognize that even some in this place have wandered away. I know, Lord, even in my own life, there have been far too many times where I have left that fold because I'm prone to wander. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to every wandering sheep here this morning. Some, Lord, may be far away from you today, that they would see you, that they would hear your voice, 
and they would turn. That, Lord, when they come back to that fold, they would see what you've promised, goodness and mercy. And because of all that you give and all that you allow us to receive, we would make it our every commitment and pursuit and every passion of our being to dwell in your house forever. Lord, it is good to be a part of your flock. You are far too good to us. We don't deserve it. And yet we thank you because you were faithful when we were faithless. Now, Lord, lead us from this place where we separate as a flock from each other. But, Lord, we know that in the days that we are separated from each other as a body, that you are with us because you have placed your Holy Spirit in us. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with that Spirit so as the distractions and the troubles come, the snares and the enemies find their way, that we would recognize greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, Jesus. We long to serve you so that your renown would be made known throughout the world as the greatest shepherd of the sheep, as our Savior and our King. Lead us forth from this place. Lead us and guide us. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.